Amen. We are continuing our sermon series in Mark this morning, and there's a particular line in our passage where Jesus says to this man, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And I've been thinking about this line a lot this past week, wrestling with this line, you are not far from the kingdom of God. On one hand, that could be taken sort of positively, like you're pretty close. You know, you're, you're not that far. You're almost there. At the same time, it could be taken negatively, like you're, you've come up short. You're not far, but you've come up short. And uh, interestingly, Mark doesn't resolve the issue for us. We're left unresolved. Does the man end up making it or not? Does he become a part of the kingdom or does he not? We, we don't know. We just know that Jesus says to him at one point, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And I wonder if Mark leaves us hanging because he wants us to feel the weight of it and to ask the question, is, is this true of me? Like, am I not far? Am I, am I coming up short of the kingdom of God? Or can I be confident that I'm in the kingdom of God? That I will be a part of the kingdom of God? And my hope this morning, we don't want anyone to leave this campus or, 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 or log off online uh, unsure of this question. Are you a part of the kingdom of God? Will you be a part of the kingdom of God forever? And we're going to look at God's Word and discover how we can be confident that we leave here and we are members of the kingdom of God. So if you would, please turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 12. Please stand in honor of the reading of God's Word. I'm going to read verses 28 through 37. And just a reminder, these are the very inspired words of our God. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that he answered them well, asked him, Which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, The most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, You are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one, and there is no other besides him, and to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. And as Jesus taught in the temple, he said, How can the scribes say that the Christ is the son of David? David himself in the Holy Spirit declared, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. David himself calls him Lord, so how is he his son? And the great throng heard him gladly. Let's pray. Father, I don't want it to be said of anyone here this morning, anyone watching online, that they are not far from the kingdom of God. So I pray if there's any who's not trusting in Christ, I pray today would be the day of salvation. And I pray as a result of our time together, by your word, by your spirit, we would leave here motivated and equipped to love you and to love neighbor itself. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So our passage begins with this man asking Jesus this question. In Mark's gospel, it sounds like the man's neutral. It doesn't sound, you know, for or against. It just kind of sounds like an honest question. Uh, but when you read Matthew's gospel, you learn that, that it's, it's weighted. He's, he's got ulterior motives. 
so Matthew twenty two thirty five says, One of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. So this man is also trying to trap Jesus. Uh, the question that he asks is, which, which commandment is most important? We commonly believe that there are 613 commandments in the Old Testament, and he's asking the question to Jesus, you know, prioritize them. Which one's more important? Which one's less important? And you could see why that might be a controversial type of question. You start saying, well, this is more important than that, and all of a sudden you're going to have people saying, wait a minute, we think this is pretty important too, right? And, and so I want to point out, though, this is a legitimate question. It, it, it's, it's, it may be illegitimate motives behind the question, but the question's legitimate. There are priorities within laws, among laws. Uh, even the Old Testament itself recognizes this as there are different punishments and different levels of punishment depending on the law and the weightiness of the law. So some, some laws, if you break them, they come with a death penalty. Other laws in the Old Testament, if you break them, the, the, the penalty is that you're publicly shamed. We saw one last week where the, the sister-in-law can remove the sandal and spit in your face. And that's the, that's the law. So that clearly there's, there are weightier, more weightier and less weightier matters of the law. And Jesus Himself says this, Matthew 23, 23. He says the weightier matters of the law are justice and mercy and faithfulness. And so there is such thing as, as weightier matters. And I think intuitively we know this. If I was driving someone in my car and I had reason to think they didn't have very long to live and I broke the speed limit laws in order to get them to the hospital, I don't think anybody would blame me for that. I don't know why they say, wait a minute, you're supposed to be going 35 here. You know, I think you'd understand that we got life on the line. It's, you're justified in, in breaking that particular law, that particular moment to get this particular person to the hospital. Right? I think it's also good to recognize there are such things as certain laws that summarize other laws. Uh, this past week, during our family devotion time, I asked my kids, do you know how many laws there are in the Old Testament? And they sort of looked at me like, how would we know that? And one of them got, well, there are ten? Is it ten? I said, well, ten's a good answer because there are the Ten Commandments, right? And the Ten Commandments are, are a, a summary of all of the laws of the Old Testament, 600 plus, right? And, and then Jesus helps us out even more. He's like, I'll, I'll do one better. I'll take the 10 and reduce it down to two. Love God, love your neighbor, which, by the way, is a summary of the 10, right? Love God summarizes the first four of the 10. Love your neighbor as yourself is a summary of the latter six. So, for example, thou shalt not steal is sort of a subcategory of love your neighbor, you love your neighbor by not stealing. So when you obey the commandment, do not steal, you're obeying the commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. And so Jesus answers the question, what's the greatest commandment? He gives us two, love God, love others. Clearly, this is important, right? If this is Jesus' way of summarizing the greatest two commandments, this is worth our time, this is worth 30 minutes of us considering these two great commandments, loving God and loving others. So let's look at them separately. First of all, loving God. Look at verse 29. Jesus answered, The most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. So Jesus answers the question by quoting Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5, which is often called the Shema which is the first Hebrew word, listen, hear, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God. 
This would have been a very well-known, very familiar verse, most likely recited twice a day, once in the morning and once in the evening by many in his audience. And so Jesus answers the question by quoting Deuteronomy 6. And I wanted to just make several observations of this command, the greatest commandment. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. First of all, I want you to notice this command reveals the importance of having a personal relationship with God. Right? This, is, this is not just believe in a higher power, believe in some sort of unmoved mover, believe in some divine force that's sort of behind it all. This is not believe in the man upstairs. This is believe in and know and love. Not just know, but know to such an extent that you love this, this particular God. And it's a particular God. It's a God who's revealed Himself in history. It's a God who's revealed Himself specifically to certain people so we can know Him because we can go back and, and read about these encounters. It's the God who revealed Himself to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. We, we talked about that some last week. It's the God who spoke and revealed Himself to Moses and, and identified Himself as the great I Am. It's the God who has revealed Himself to us in the person of Jesus. So we're, we're not talking about just merely a divine being, a spirit, a force, uh, some divine authority. We are talking about this particular God who's revealed Himself in history. We're talking about knowing Him and we're talking about loving Him. Love Him. You can't, you can't love Him without knowing Him and in some way existing in relationship with Him. So think about this. At the heart of our faith, the, the greatest commandment is a call, a command to love God. Not just be a spiritual person. Not just be a person who's into spiritual soul, mind, and strength. Secondly, this command reveals that a multitude of gods, according to most ancient Near Eastern religions, but here, the Hebrew God, the God who revealed Himself to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, is one. So, In other words, He deserves all of the attention. He doesn't just deserve your attention or affection when you go to the east or when you go to the west or when you're on the sea or when you're on the land. He, he deserves it all the time. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, all-knowing, all-powerful. Therefore, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love Him. Not just because He can do for you what, what, what you want Him to do for you in your particular situation, but because He's one. He's, he's Almighty God. And he deserves it. Now, you and I might not be tempted to go worship the god of Baal or the moon god or the sun god or the fertility god, but we have our other little lowercase gods that we tend to go to to try to find happiness and satisfaction. One of the breaking news reports this past week uh, revealed there, there was a whistleblower within Facebook who revealed that Facebook and, and therefore Instagram, the, the company knows that their product is doing significant harm and damage to people, in particular young people and in particular young girls. They know it. Their internal data, their internal reporting reveals this. So at one of their internal presentations, they stated in their presentation, quote, we make body image issues worse for one in three teenage girls. They know this. They know that they're doing harm to one in three teenage girls, and yet they continue to promote their product, and we continue to use it, right? And I'll just put a little plug in here. As parents of children, I would encourage you, don't let your kids use Instagram. Uh, it, it, is, it is a dangerous tool. It's a dangerous God. 
And even people who self-report that it leads to their personal anxiety and depression can't undo it. They can't get off of it. They, 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 they're, they're compelled to use it. And they know. Like People report. They know it makes them more depressed. They know it makes them more anxious. And yet they can't not continue to get on Facebook and Instagram. It's, it, it's a, we may not be tempted to go down and worship Baal. But we have other gods that we are giving ourselves to and that are not satisfying us. And yet we continue to go give them more than what they deserve. And the truth is, God is the one who deserves our attention, our affection, our, 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 our everything. And this brings us to the third observation I want to make here. He wants all of it. He wants all of us. He wants everything within me. He, he, he expects, He demands, He calls us to give Him everything. Uh, Deuteronomy 6.5, the way the verse reads, you, you shall love Him with all your heart, soul, and might. When Jesus quotes it in, Matthew, in Mark 12.30, Jesus says, all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So the word mind is added there. And then when the man repeats it in, in Mark 12.33, the man says, all your heart, understanding and strength. So he substitutes the word understanding. And the point here is not so much to ask the question, how many parts are we made of? Is there the mind, the heart, the soul, the body, the, you know, and what's the difference? You know, are, are we ultimately two parts or three parts or four parts? And, and what exactly is the mind? And how is it related to the heart? And all that, that's, those are fine questions. And let's ask them and let's sit around and debate them. And that's fun. But, but don't miss the point here. The point here is whatever there is within you, Whatever you want to call it, heart, mind, body, strength, soul, spirit, you owe it all to Him. He, he owe, he's owed it all, and therefore we are to give it all to Him. Remember, render to Caesar what belongs to Caesar, and to God what belongs to God. We said what belongs to God? Everything belongs to Him. Um, I've mentioned this multiple times. I'll mention again here this morning. I enjoy watching college football. In particular, I enjoy watching my team. And I don't just watch it. Like I, it, it's, it's an investment of my time. Uh, I carve out the time. I plan things around it. You know, this is four hours. And we're not planning anything during this time. Y'all can plan things. I'm not planning anything during this time, right? And we're going to have the TV on the whole time. And the volume's going to be up at a certain level because I want to hear it. And if anybody gets too loud, I'll ask them politely to leave because I want to hear it. Like everything. I want to hear what pregame, halftime, postgame, you know, I'm not just casually watching. I don't want to have conversations over here while the game's on. Like, <laughs> this is what we're here to do. We're here to watch the game, right? And we got to plan meals around it. Like, we eat before, we eat maybe in the middle, and after, but not during. Like, this is it's too important, right? And I'm, when I watch it, I'm involved. Like, I, I don't just passively sit back and watch it. Like, I'm, I'll pace a little bit, you know? I'll go get a different chair and sit in a different... I have a chair for when these things are happening and a chair for when those things are happening. Uh, not making it up. Uh, I'll interact with the TV. I'll talk to the TV. Sometimes I'll yell at the TV. I'll clap. I'm involved. You sweat sometimes. It's, a, it's, a, it's an ordeal. It's, a, it's an event. And the rest of my day is sort of... My attitude is largely kind of connected to what happens in that game. If it doesn't go well... You know, I, I'll still survive and I'll still, you know, do what I need to do. But, you know, I'm just a little different. And, uh, you know, I, I don't think it's at an unhealthy level yet. Y'all may disagree with me. <laughs> Here's the point I want to make. 
Um, we all have our things. For you, it may not be college football, but there's something that you're sort of giving yourself to. You're thinking about it. You're prioritizing it. You're involved in it. It affects your mind. It affects your body. You're, you're thinking about it at night when you sleep, as you go to sleep. You're giving yourself to something, right? And, and it, it can become unhealthy. So there's a, there's a point where it becomes unhealthy. There's a point where it's healthy. But here's my main question I want us to consider this morning. Does that in any way, any form or fashion, describe your relationship with God? Like, Can you say, yeah, I give myself to Him. I'm carving out time for Him. I'm making this a priority. It's not just, it's not just that I'm, I'm reading, but I'm, I'm involved. Like My mind's involved. My affections are involved. My emotions are involved. My body's involved. Like, can, can, can you, is that accurate? Is that an accurate description of your living, real, personal relationship with God? And if not, why not? What's, what's, what is it that's, that's preventing you from obeying what, what Jesus calls the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And let's ask this question. Let's be honest. What, what, what about when I don't feel like it? What about when I really don't want to? And my heart's not into it. And my body's not into it. And my emotions aren't into it. What do I do then? Perhaps some of you wrestle with that question as I wrestle with that question. There's several ways we could answer this. I just want to answer it one way this morning. One answer is we still keep doing the things that God has called us to do. And I think we pray that God would give us a heart and emotions and desires and, and affections that follow. Um, and the, the reason why I say this is, for example, listen to the verses that come right on the hills in Deuteronomy 6 when he says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And it's almost as if you say, well, what about if I don't feel it? What if, what if I'm not loving God with all my heart? What do I do then? Listen to the verses that come right on the hills of this command to love God with everything you have. Verse 6, And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. And you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. So I think he's saying, you love God. And, and you give yourself to it. You talk about these things. You, you read the Word, you talk about the Word. You talk about it with your children. Well, I don't feel like it. You talk about it. You talk about it as you come, you talk about it as you go. You talk about it as you're waking up, you talk about it as you're going to bed. Like you, you, you commit yourself to it. You don't say, well, I don't feel like it, so I'm not doing it. You train yourself, you discipline yourself. You do what God's called you to do. I'm thinking specifically of this, what we call the spiritual disciplines. Reading God's Word. Praying. Worshiping with God's people. We, we, we do the things He's called us to do. And I, I'm not suggesting you do them robotically. Like, just do them, just go through the motions, check the box. I mean, you say, I know I'm supposed to do this. I don't have a heart for it, but I know I'm supposed to, so I'm going to. I'm going to keep doing it, God. I'm going to try to do it, being faithful to you, and please give me a heart for it. Be honest with you. I don't really have a heart for this. I'm having a hard time getting into it, so help me. And I, I am confident if you are committed to following and you have a heart that at least wants to have a heart, 
God will bless that. God will honor that. So pray. Ask Him. Give me desire. Give me affection for these things. Give me a heart for these things. Give me a passion for these things. I'm going to keep doing what you call me to do. And I'm going to ask you in return to, to correct me so that I want these things. I desire these things. I often think we don't practice the spiritual disciplines because we say, I just don't feel like it. And if I did it, then that would be hypocritical because my heart's just not into it. And that's just a really lame excuse. Right? I always like to say, one of my favorite principles that I live by is you will always do what you most want to do. You will always choose what you most want. So for example, if your desire is, I'm going to try to eat healthy this week and I'm going to try to exercise and be in shape and I'm not going to eat desserts. And then let's just say you're presented with an opportunity to eat this really nice chocolate dessert. You You have conflicting desires. I want to be healthy, trying to eat healthy, but I also really want this dessert. They're true, two genuine desires. What do you do? Whatever you choose, that'll be what you'll prove that what you most wanted. So if you choose the chocolate, it doesn't mean you didn't want to be healthy. It just means you wanted the chocolate more. And you'll prove that by eating it. And if you choose to not eat it and you say, I'm going to be healthy, it doesn't mean you didn't want the chocolate cake. It just means you wanted to be healthy more in that moment, right? At that time. So in a similar way, you say, I really just don't want to gather with God's people for worship. I really just don't want to read the Bible. I really just don't want to pray, so I'm just not going to do it. But I also have a desire to do the things of God and to do what He's called me to do. You will prove what you most want to do by what you choose. And so you train your mind, you discipline yourself to do the things you know you're supposed to do, to do the things God's called you to do. And then you pray for God to give you passion and heart and affections for it and for Him. Think about this. The greatest commandment in the Bible is for you and me to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. The Creator of the world created you, and then He came to you and spoke to you and told you, here's the most important thing I have for you. I want you to love me with everything you have. Think about that. Wow! The privilege we have that God would come to us and tell us the greatest thing He has for us is to love Him with everything we have. It's the greatest commandment. It's the greatest privilege. And this brings us secondly to talk about loving others. We're called to love God. We're called to love others. Look at verse 31. The second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. So the second commandment, he quotes Deuteronomy 19.18, which says, You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. D.A. Carson, I think, helpfully points out that if you, if you read Deuteronomy 19, it sort of fleshes out what it means to love your neighbor. So uh, a fun exercise sometimes is read Deuteronomy 19 and look at all the ways that we're supposed to love our neighbor as ourself. And here's some of the, the examples you'll find. Deuteronomy 19, verse 10, care for the poor. Verse 11, do not steal. Verse 11, don't lie. Verse 14, be fair in business dealings. Uh, 14, care for the deaf and the blind. Verse 15, deal justly with all. Verse 16, don't slander. Verse 16, do not jeopardize the life of your neighbor. Verse 17, do not harbor hatred. And there are others. Interestingly, in Luke's Gospel, 
this discussion about the greatest commandment, the second greatest commandment happens, it takes place in Luke 10. And when Jesus tells the man, love God and love others, the man responds, well, who is my neighbor? In other words, what are the limitations on who my neighbor is? Where can I draw the line and say, this is my neighbor, I'm supposed to love him, but that's not my neighbor, my neighbor, therefore I don't have to love him. And Jesus tells the parable of the Good Samaritan. And one of the principles of the parable is, even the people you don't naturally think of as your neighbor is still your neighbor, the Good Samaritan. Right? You are to be a neighbor even to the person you might not naturally think of as being your neighbor. Even the person you might naturally think of as is being outside your circle, so to speak. And this is very consistent with what the Old Testament teaches. Leviticus 19, 33 and 34. When a stranger sojourns with you in your land, you shall not do him wrong. You shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as the native among you. And you shall love him as yourself, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. So I want to point out how closely related loving God and loving others is. These are so closely related to one another. Think about this. Jesus is asked the question, what's the greatest commandment? He could have said, the greatest commandment is love God. Period. The end. And that would be right. But Jesus chose to go ahead and give the second greatest commandment too. It's almost like I can't answer the question without including the second one. Love God and love your neighbor as yourself. It's second. It's not first. But it's so strongly connected and related to the first that I'm going to actually answer your question by including it. Love God and love your neighbor. And in fact, in Matthew's Gospel, he says it like this. He says, the second one is like it. The second greatest commandment is like the first greatest commandment. First greatest commandment, love God. The second one is like it. Similar. Love your neighbor as yourself. I think the reason why they're so closely related is because the way I know if I'm loving God is if I'm loving others. And if I'm not loving others, that's a really good indication I'm not loving God. And if I am loving others, biblically defined, that's a good indication I love God. 1 John 4, 7 and 8 says it like this, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. If we love Him, we will love one another. If we don't love one another, that is a proof that we don't really love Him. And I hear people say pretty frequently, I love God. I just can't stand people. <laughs> you know? they, they, they say it in so many words. I love God. I just can't stand the church. Church is just full of hypocrites. I love God. Just don't like people. That's just not an option here. You don't like people. You you prove. If you're not willing to choose to love people the way the Bible tells us, that's proof you don't love God. We prove we love God by loving people. And we see the extent to which we're supposed to love them in verse 31. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. I think that's really interesting. I've wrestled with this this week. Because the Bible doesn't talk much about what does it mean to love myself. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's not an emphasis of the Bible. Make sure you love yourself. Make sure you care for yourself. Do self-care before you do care for others. I hear those kind of things all the time in our world today. Like even by Christians, I hear it a lot. Right? Self-care first. Other care second. Self-love first. Other love second. 
And I don't think the sentiment is 100% entirely wrong, but I do want to point out that's not the emphasis of the Bible. Find me a verse that says, do self-care first before you do care for others. I think the the assumption of the Bible is you're going to do self-care. The assumption of the Bible is you're going to take care of your own needs. So love your neighbor as yourself. You tend to take care of your own needs. You tend to look out for yourself. That's an assumption. That's just a reality. It's a proven fact. Just think about your morning so far today. Think about everything you've done so far today. If you could make a little mental list. Now go through that little mental list. How many of those things were for me? How many of those things that I've done today benefit me? And how many of those things benefit someone else? Now the one exception to this is those of you who have young children. And for those of you who have young children, God bless you in that, right? I think for most of us, if we're honest, any day you track what you do and a vast majority of what you do is for you. You take care of you. And I'm not necessarily saying that's wrong. I'm saying the Bible says, verse 31, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You take care of your needs. Now, do the difficult thing. (laughs) Take care of the needs of those who are around you. Uh, you One of the major emphases, distinctives of our church is is Sunday school ministry. We still have Sunday school ministry. That really just means we have small group ministry that meets on Sunday mornings on the church property. So we have small groups that get together every week. They get together either at 9 o'clock or 10.30. And one of the reasons why this is such a huge priority for us is because we believe this is where the love one another comes into play. This is where the love your neighbor as yourself comes into play. What we're doing in here is largely worship. And that's important. First commandment. But what we do when we gather the opposite hour is we, we hear from one another. We pray for one another. We hear what needs one another have. And then we meet those needs. Here's a family that has a need. Let's bless them. Let's minister to them. Let's pray for them. Is there a practical way we can help you? And so I just want to strongly encourage you, if you're not connected to a small group at our church that meets on Sunday mornings, I'll encourage you to, to go find one. Check out several and and plug into the one that's a good fit for you. And look for the ones where they're meeting each other's needs. They're serving each other. I I overhear a a lot of our classes that do a really fantastic job of just meeting each other's needs, loving one another. And it it ought to be everybody. Like everybody in the class meeting everybody's needs. Not just this 20% that meets the needs of the other 80%. That's unfortunately what often happens. The same 20% are giving to the same 80%. I'm talking about everybody all in, sacrificially serving, giving to one another. Um, we want our small groups to be places where that's happening. And we want our church to be a place where that's happening. And I want to share with you uh, a, 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 a conversation I had last Sunday. A guy came up to me. He's newer to our church uh, several months. And he said, I just want to tell you that I've noticed people around here are serving <laughs> And he said they seem to be enjoying it. He said, I, just, I can't believe I look around and just see people serving in all kinds of ways. And he said, it's not like you're, you're making them. <laughs> you know, they're not kind of doing it begrudgingly. They, they seem to really enjoy it. And he said, I'm really attracted to that about your church. And he said, in particular, he said there was one ministry where you had this need. I think he was talking about the, uh, the, the parking of the car. Um, what do we call that? Valet parking. And he said, you know, you expressed the need. And all of a sudden, the next week, there were all these people who came 
and serve. And he said, once again, they seemed to enjoy it. They seemed to delight in it. And he said, I almost didn't get to do it because there were so many people already plugging in. And he said, I'm just, that's really attractive to come to a church and see so many people who have that kind of serving heart and serving mentality. So I just want to say to our church and say to you, uh, way to go. Let's keep, let's keep doing that. Let's keep leaning into serving each other, serving well, serving with a great attitude and representing Christ well in that. So great job. Way to go with that. And this brings us to the third point or the question that I want to raise. And that is, what is missing? Like Jesus has asked the question, what's the greatest commandment? He answers, love God, love others. The man responds and says, you're right. You know, it's like, thank you for telling Jesus he's right. <laughs> love God and love others was the correct answer. And then Jesus says to him, verse 34, here's kind of the haunting phrase. You are not far from the kingdom of God. What's he missing? He got the answer right. He knows the answer. Why didn't he say, you're right, that's it. Why does Jesus say, you're not far? In other words, you're still missing something. What is he missing? The answer is, he's missing the person who's standing right in front of him. He doesn't yet know who this person is or what this person's come to do. And Jesus is going to indicate who he is and what he's come to do. First of all, he's going to indicate who he is in the next few verses there. Verses 35 through 37. We have referenced this several times in our study. We will probably continue to reference it, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it right now. I just want to point out, in verses 35 through 37, Jesus starts to turn the tables on them. They've been asking him the questions, thinking they can trap him. Now he asks them the question. He says, you guys believe that, that the Messiah, the Christ, the promised one, is going to be the son of David, right? And they're like, yeah, we believe that. Well, explain to me this. How come Psalm 110, David says, the Lord said to my Lord. In other words, David refers to his son, who's going to be the Christ, as, as David's Lord. How could that be? And they just marvel. They're just amazed. They can't answer. They don't know. But they do know what he's implying. They do know what he's saying. He's claiming to be that person. They know that. He knows that. He's claiming to be David's son. He's claiming to be the promised one, the Messiah, the Christ. He's claiming to be greater than David. Think about that. Claiming to be greater than King David. Claiming to be the one who one day all things will be subjected to him. And he's saying to these guys, you're missing one thing. You need to come to understand who it is that's standing before you talking. You need to come to understand, I'm the son of David. I'm the Christ. I'm the Messiah. I'm the one greater than David. I'm the one to whom all things will be subjected to one day because I am the King of Kings. And until you come to realize who I am, you will be not far from the kingdom of God. You'll remain there because you're missing something. And I think we have an indication in our passage of what it is that He's come to do. I think we see this. It's subtle. It's verse 33 where the man affirms loving God and loving others is greater than offerings and sacrifices. Why does Mark include that? Loving God, loving others is greater, weightier, more important than offerings and sacrifices. I think it's possible that Mark is giving a hint here because we see it in the rest of Mark's Gospel that there's coming a day soon when there will be no more temple. The temple is going to be destroyed. 
There's going to be no more place to bring the sacrifice. There's going to be no more place to bring the offering. But that's okay, because there's a new temple that's here. Jesus is here. And that's the key piece they're missing. And what Jesus is going to do as the new temple, He's going to also be the sacrifice. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. There's going to be no more sacrifices. There's going to be no more blood sacrifice. No more animals. He's the ultimate sacrifice. He's about to make the sacrifice. He's not only the temple, He's not only the priest, He's the sacrifice. He's about to make the sacrifice. And until they come to realize who He is, And what it is that He's come to do to make this sacrifice, they're going to be short every time. They're missing something. Understanding who Jesus is and understanding what He's come to do is necessary. It is essential. And in fact, it is necessary in order to love God and to love your neighbor as yourself. Let me point out really quickly three reasons why it's necessary to know who Jesus is and what He's done in order to love God and love your neighbor. First of all, You can't know God without knowing Jesus. You can't love God without loving Jesus. You can't worship God without worshiping Jesus. Now that's interesting because we've just been reminded of this very important verse. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. He's one. But Jesus tells us He and the Father are one. And Jesus tells us, no one comes to the Father except through Me. So if you want to know God, truly know Him, You have to know the God who revealed Himself, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and revealed Himself through the person of Jesus. And Jesus says to us, I am the Son of God, and no one comes to the Father except through Me. You want to know God? You've got to know Jesus. You want to love God with all your heart, soul, mind? You've got to love Jesus with all your heart, soul, mind. He is necessary for loving God. He's also necessary because it is His sacrifice which motivates us to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Otherwise, we just love God because of what He can do for us. He just becomes one of the gods in our lives that we try to appease and keep happy so that He'll get me what I really want. And what I really want is really my God. But when you come to realize the one true and living God sacrificed everything for you, and you come to realize the greatness of the sacrifice, you say, wow, I no longer have to love God. I no longer have to sacrifice and give. I actually want to. Because why? Because look at the sacrifice He made for me. How could I not? That's why we're going to sing this song here in a second. Amazing love. Oh, what sacrifice. The Son of God given for me. My debt He pays. My death He dies that I might live. But third, I want you to notice Jesus is necessary for truly being motivated to love your neighbor as yourself. Why else would I love my neighbor as myself? I mean, it's easy to love the neighbors you like and the ones who let you borrow their tools and you know them and you talk about the weather. That's, that's easy. Everybody does that. It doesn't take Christian love to love your friendly neighbors that you like already in the first place. Love your neighbor is ultimately a call to love your enemy as yourself. How could I do that? Why would I want to do that? Why would I love someone who's seeking to harm me How could I possibly get motivated to do that? And the answer is because that's what Jesus did for you. He was the good Samaritan for you. He gave everything for you when you were a bad neighbor to Him. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Because Jesus loved me in a way that's almost unfathomable. How can I not turn around and forgive the small debt that somebody has against me? 
See, when you understand the incredible sacrifice that Jesus made, you can't help but be motivated to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love your neighbor as yourself. So make sure this morning you are trusting in Christ. Let's pray.